Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's episode, we have the SEC's hacked account falsely approving a Bitcoin ETF, a landmark in women's representation in U.S. law firms, Steve Wozniak's lawsuit challenging internet platform liability, and the first RICO Act trial against Cop City protesters. Let's remember, the news is the first rough draft of history, and read today's rough draft of history. On this day in legal history, January 10th marks the incorporation of Standard Oil by John D. Rockefeller in 1870. This event set the stage for one of the most significant antitrust legal battles in American history. Standard Oil, under Rockefeller's leadership, quickly grew to dominate the U.S. oil industry, achieving near-monopoly status. The company's growth was characterized by aggressive strategies such as undercutting competitors' prices, securing favorable railroad rates, and acquiring rival refineries. By the 1880s, Standard Oil controlled approximately 90% of the U.S. refining capacity, prompting public and legal scrutiny. Concerns about Standard Oil's monopoly power and business tactics contributed to the development of the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890, a landmark federal statute in the field of competition law. The act aimed to prohibit monopolistic practices and promote fair competition. In 1906, the federal government filed a lawsuit against Standard Oil under the Sherman Act. The case, Standard Oil Co. of New Jersey versus United States, reached the Supreme Court. The court's 1911 decision became a cornerstone of antitrust jurisprudence. The Supreme Court, in a landmark ruling, found Standard Oil guilty of monopolizing the petroleum industry through a series of abusive and anti-competitive actions. The court ordered the dissolution of Standard Oil into 34 independent companies, including those that would become ExxonMobil, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips. This case set a significant precedent for antitrust enforcement in the United States. It demonstrated the government's commitment to regulating large corporations and maintaining competitive markets. The ruling was also a pivotal moment in the history of corporate law, shaping the legal landscape for future antitrust cases. The rise and fall of Standard Oil not only transformed the oil industry, but also had a lasting impact on American business practices and legal frameworks. Rockefeller, through this enterprise, became America's first billionaire, illustrating the profound economic impact on the industrial age. Today, the legacy of the Standard Oil case continues to influence antitrust law and policy, serving as a reminder of the legal system's role in balancing corporate power and public interest. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, that's the SEC for those in the biz, experienced a significant cybersecurity incident when its social media account was hacked. The compromised account falsely announced the approval of a spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, or ETF, which led to a brief surge in Bitcoin's price. This incident has triggered an investigation by U.S. authorities into the breach of one of Wall Street's main regulatory bodies. Kurt Gottschall, a former SEC regional director, commented on the irony of the situation, noting that the SEC, known for its strict stance on cybersecurity breaches in public companies, is now a victim itself. The hack has also intensified criticism from cryptocurrency advocates who perceive the SEC's chair, Gary Gensler, as overly stringent on crypto regulations. The SEC confirmed that the unauthorized access was terminated and clarified that the post about the ETF approval was not made by the SEC or its staff. Joe Benarock, head of business operations at the involved social media service, stated that they are investigating the root cause of the hack. It was revealed that the SEC's account did not have two-factor authentication enabled, a standard security measure, at the time of the incident. Republican Senators J.D. Vance and Tom Tillis have demanded explanations from the SEC regarding this misleading post, seeking a briefing and responses by January 23rd. Meanwhile, anticipation for the SEC's decision on several Bitcoin ETF applications is high. The SEC is due to act on these applications with speculation about possible approval for these products. The approval process involves signing off on exchange filings and the issuer's registration applications, with potential for the ETFs to start trading soon thereafter. 
This incident underscores the ongoing controversy and speculation surrounding the introduction of spot-backed Bitcoin ETFs, an area where the SEC has historically expressed concerns over investor protection and market manipulation. In 2023, U.S. law firms saw a significant milestone with women associates outnumbering their male counterparts for the first time. According to a survey by the National Association for Law Placement, or NALP, 50.3% of associates in U.S. law firms were women last year. This shift reflects the growing gender dynamics in the legal profession as the number of women in U.S. law schools has been surpassing men for the past eight years, with nearly 56% of current JD students being women. Since NALP began tracking diversity data in 1991, when women comprised just over 38% of law firm associates, there has been a gradual but notable increase in their representation. Nakia Gray, NALP's executive director, emphasizes that real change is slow and hard, but it does happen. However, the increase in women's representation is not uniform across all levels in law firms. While women made up 27.76% of all partners in 2023, the largest year-over-year increase recorded by NALP, they still represent less than half the percentage of female associates, highlighting a significant gender gap at higher levels. The survey also indicates improvements in racial diversity within law firms. In 2023, associates of color represented 30.15%, a record increase, and non-white partners increased to 12.1%. Despite these gains, women of color still account for less than 5% of all partners, although black and Latino women surpassed 1% of partners for the first time in 2023. However, there is a potential concern for future diversity as the percentage of minority students in summer associate internships dropped in 2023 for the first time since 2017. This decline might signal a slowdown in the diversity shift among associates, considering the role of summer programs as a pipeline to full-time positions in law firms. Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple Inc., is challenging the limits of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act in a case against YouTube. This federal law acts as a liability shield for online platforms from lawsuits regarding third-party content. The case, argued before California's Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, centers on YouTube's role in a scam involving doctored footage of Wozniak and other tech figures to promote a fake Bitcoin giveaway. Wozniak's legal team argues that YouTube contributed to the scam's credibility by awarding verification badges indicated by check marks to accounts that posted the fraudulent videos. These badges are typically seen as symbols of authenticity. The justices are probing whether these badges requested by users constitutes YouTube's own content or are simply enhancements of third-party content, which would then be protected under Section 230. YouTube's attorney, Mark Yalom, referenced a precedent case, Gentry v. eBay, Inc., to argue that platforms are not liable for labels like power sellers given to third-party users, drawing a parallel to YouTube's verification badges. Yalom asserts that promoting visibility of third-party content falls under the definition of publishing and hence is protected under Section 230. Wozniak's attorney, Brian Danitz, contends that YouTube's profit from the hoax should exclude it from Section 230's liability shield. He also seeks to investigate YouTube's process for creating targeted ads and verification badges. The case, Wozniak v. YouTube, highlights a growing debate among federal appellate judges and justices over the expansive interpretations of Section 230, which was originally intended to foster internet growth. This lawsuit also involves the misuse of videos of other celebrities like Elon Musk and Bill Gates in the hoax. The outcome of this case could have significant implications for the liability of online platforms in cases of third-party content misuse. If you have any interest in learning more about Section 230, we have a separate Maximin episode on just that topic, with a link in the show notes. The first trial among dozens of activists charged with conspiring to halt the construction of an Atlanta police training center, commonly referred to as Cop City, is set to commence. Ayla King, a 19-year-old from Worcester, Massachusetts, faces charges under Georgia's Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, or RICO, a state law modeled after the federal law originally intended to combat organized crime. 
King is accused of being part of, quote, Defend the Atlanta Forest, a group that has allegedly occupied the site of the proposed $90 million Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. This center, which includes a mock city and emergency vehicle course, is opposed by protesters for reasons including increased police militarization and environmental concerns. The case is notable as it's the first time Georgia has applied the RICO Act to a protest group, according to Chris Timmons, a law teacher at Georgia State University. For Reuters, he points out that prosecutors are wielding a powerful law that might transform some misdemeanors into more serious charges. If proven that the group's actions extended beyond protest to criminal activity, it could justify the use of the RICO Act. King, who has been released on a $15,000 bond and pleaded not guilty, is specifically charged with participating in a riot at the construction site. Her trial is separate as she requested a speedy trial and her outcome won't directly affect the other cases, though it might influence plea deal negotiations. A gag order has been issued in the case limiting public statements by defense attorneys and prosecutors. King's attorney argues that there is no evidence linking her to the group that damaged construction equipment. Christopher Bruce, policy director for the ACLU of Georgia, criticized the broad application of Georgia's RICO Act in this context, stating it was meant for organized crime and is now being used to target government dissenters. The trial is a significant test case for the use of the RICO Act against protest groups and has broader implications for how such laws are applied to social and environmental activism. And with that, I thank you so much for listening to Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more than Minimum Competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. Reviews go a long way towards helping new listeners to find our show. If you have a moment and can leave a rating or review on your podcast player, we'd sure appreciate it. And if you know someone that might be interested in a story we cover, consider sending them the episode. But remember, nothing here should be construed as legal advice because it is certainly not that. Minimum Competence is available at minimumcomp.com and wherever you get your finely crafted podcasts. If you haven't checked out the website in a while, give it a look. There are complete transcripts and resources for each episode and its corresponding segments, as well as an opportunity to receive new episodes in email newsletter form. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And until then, remember, we'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>